Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? I'm a little frazzled just because the screens didn't work. There was just a lot of, uh, it's always something, right? Technology. It, uh, yeah, you guys still sang and it, it was beautiful. I, I took my guitar off and just listened to the last part and um, you guys have beautiful voices. You guys should all be on the worship team. You don't believe me, do you? Um, no, I'm, I really am. I'm, I'm grateful for, um, if, if, if you hear nothing else, and you can leave right now if you want because I'm about to preach, but um, if you hear nothing else, just hear this, that God wants you here and he desperately desires your heart. And it's that right there. That it's not anything special about the music or the lights or anything. It's just us lifting our praise to the one who created us, to the one who loves us, to the one who never stops pursuing us. And, oh, sorry, children. I always forget, don't I? Maybe they needed to hear that too. Um, I always forget the children. Yes, children, you guys are dismissed. Um, but no, I just, I, I love that um, we have, uh, you know, we've talked about, Pastor Aaron and I, have, of the length of worship and all of that. And I think, I just love the amount of time that we give um, space to worship for God to just move and for people to be able to worship. And that may be your thing. It may not be your thing. Um, but God... And you may feel like you can sing, you may feel like you, you can't, but uh, God loves to hear you. He loves to hear the praise of his people. So this morning, we are uh, in week two. Am I really loud? Okay, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm yelling at myself. Um, so we're in week two of the... Uh, who will you serve series and like I said I apologize that our screens don't don't work so you just have to take really good notes um so if you missed last week I'll give you kind of the cliff notes uh you're not supposed to serve yourself that's you know we that's pretty much it in a nut in a nutshell is that we talked about Jesus example of serving others really tells us that it's not about us um, that pretty much every time we see Jesus in Scripture, he is serving others and doing the will of the Father, modeling humility for us, right? So today I want to kind of keep in a similar vein um, and still ask this question of who will you serve. But today I want to talk about money. Mm, yeah. Anybody like that? Nobody likes that. Wow, okay. You guys can leave, it's fine. Um, no, Pastor Aaron did not ask me to talk about this, just so you know. This is not a, a ploy from him. Um, and I, I'm, the church is doing fine financially. That's not why I'm talking about this. Um, and this is not a ploy to, to make you give more. Although if you uh, want to give more, if the Holy Spirit leads that to happen, then I can just brag to Aaron after he comes back. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but in all seriousness, it's, 
not about you giving more money to the church or to a charity or anything like that. Honestly, it's not about money. It's about a mindset. I would say a mindset of shifting our mindset. And there are two big topics that pastors usually avoid talking about. You guys know what they are? Money. Money's one of them, right? What's the other one? Was it politics? That should be one of them, maybe, right? But the, the other one, the other big one's sex. Who said that? Did somebody say that? Nobody said that? Okay. Money and sex are usually two things, because one is usually pretty uncomfortable to talk about, sex, and the other one, uh, people don't really like you telling them what to do with your money, or with their money. Um, you know, they don't, they get kind of upset whenever you start talking about money, and that's so interesting to me. Like, why? Why do we get upset? Why is it this taboo thing to talk about? And I'm not saying this shouldn't be the case, is that we, you know, that it shouldn't be a private thing. But have you ever noticed that? Like, we never talk about how much people make of their job. Such an interesting, like, thing. Like, you know, no one asked that question. So, like, what would you do if you met somebody and you're introducing yourself, you know, and you say, hey, yeah, my name's Cole, you know, and they ask you what you do. And the next thing is, they say, oh, how much do you make a year at that job? Nobody's, like, ever asked that, right? And if they have, it's like, whoa, dude, I don't even know you. Like, what? You're, right? That's not a thing that, like, and if somebody, you're, like, thinking, these people are weird. Like, why are they asking how much, how much I make? Because nobody does that. And you're probably going to get offended, and you're, you're probably not going to tell them, right, how much you make a year um, or how much you make at your job. And I think this is the case for a couple of reasons. So one is, if we're doing well financially, then for many reasons, we don't want people to know that. A lot of people don't like, or some people may flaunt it, but a lot of people don't like people to know that. And two, if we're not doing well financially, for many reasons, maybe some of the same, maybe different, we don't want people to know that as, as well. We don't want people to know that either. Um, but I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I'm not get, we're not going to require to write your salary on a note or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to push back on not talking about money, how it's become this taboo thing. Because the Bible honestly has a lot to say about money. And it, I mean, we, we kind of lift it as the most important thing in our society right now. And really, it always has been. Think about it. We use money for everything. Every single day, we have to spend money. And every day, we go to work to make that money, to spend that money, right? And so it's this cycle. It's the fuel for life. And you're not going to last very long in this world without money. And so I, I do believe that it has a place in the church to talk about money. Again, not amounts or anything like that. And even though people don't like to talk about it, the Bible has a lot to say about money, about how we spend our money, about how we view our money. And so we're going to talk about one passage in particular. We're going to look at uh, really, the whole chapter uh, 6 of Matthew is a, a great chapter, and it talks a, a lot about possessions and money and just how we, um, how we spend our money. But we're going to look at 
Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And so if it, it's not on the screen, so if you have a phone, you can pull that up. Matthew chapter 6, and it's verses 19 through 24. I'll wait for you guys to be able to get. Sorry, I apologize. It's not on the screen. Um, but I want to read this. So starting in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And then this is what the, the, the verse that I really want to focus on and encapsulate. It says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Let me just pray before we, we talk about this. God, I just, uh, I'm grateful for, for your word. I'm grateful that it uh, cuts us in places where we maybe don't like to talk about things, and it, it finds a way into our hearts even when we try to avoid certain things, and that's what you've been doing to me this week and pretty much every week as I've kind of went down this journey of searching about who we will serve, who I will serve. And so God, I just ask that as we continue to look in your word, as you continue to reveal more and more about who you are to us, that we would start to peel back the onions of kind of what makes us tick and kind of get at the heart of and the root of the things that drive us, that motivate us, the things that you really just want to cut out of our, our lives or maybe deprioritize de them, reprioritize them. Um, I just pray that you would just be in the midst of our time together. May I just hide behind the shadow of the cross and may it not be me, but may it be you that just takes over because I truly have nothing to say that's good, but you have everything to say that is so good, and um, we thank you. We love you. Amen. So I have to admit that I, uh, I love stuff. Don't you guys love stuff? I, uh, I love clothes, accessories, new tech toys. Honestly, I just love stuff. Like, I, 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 there's like something in me, right, that just constantly, you know, if I see something, it's like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Like, I, I need one of those. Or, ooh, this person has that cool thing, you know. And then I'm also, like, I think I told you this last week, I'm wired in the way of, like, I just like to figure things out. And so, usually when my mom, you know, gets a new, like, th this happened this uh this past weekend when my, my brother, we had some family here, 
and she had got a new espresso machine. And so everybody was visiting with family, and I was making espresso for everybody, being, being nice, right? But I was also, I was playing with that thing, like trying to figure out how it worked. It was cool. And so like, I love stuff. I was, you know, and so now I know how to work that better than her. But um, I just, I love stuff. So the beginning of this passage is really hard for me, if I'm honest. We live in this material world. Um, really? Nobody's going to sing and I'm a material girl? Okay. Um, and they're always making new things. And so it's easy to be tempted just about everywhere you go, right? When you're walking, you know, well, we walk yeah, down the, the sidewalk and we see stores. Or when we're surfing online, it's easy to see things and be tempted to, to get whatever the, the new thing is. But in reality, the reality is if I and if you died tomorrow... My phone, my clothes, my tools, all my stuff, it would just be here, right? It would just stay here. And it would probably overwhelm my wife to go through all the stuff that I have and all the, the gadgets, right? I mean, that's the same for you guys. If, if you died tomorrow, your stuff would all be here, right? All the things that you that you love so much, that we spend so much time accumulating, it would just stay here. Uh, we don't get to take that stuff with us. Most of us have, have seen uh, some apoc- apocalyptic movies, right? You, how many of you seen the, like the Planet of the Apes, the world, or what's it called? Uh, the Day After Tomorrow, um, or I Am Legend. Have you guys seen those movies, right? Apocalyptic movies. So what's the first thing? Or even like in TV shows, like The Walking Dead, right? Things like that. Um, what's the first thing you see when somebody comes into like a city? You see like cars that are on the side of the road that have just been left, right? You see certain things that, that people have left that they've been covered with dust and they've just stayed there. They haven't went with the people. They've been rusted or looted and the people are gone but their prized possessions are not with them and Jesus tells us that here he's saying I don't have to ask you what you're all about or what your heart loves the most and neither does anyone else they just look at what you value the most the stuff that you spend time trying to get, the stuff that you spend time on. He says, that's, that's where I can tell where your heart is, where you place value. And that, that convicts me because then I'm thinking about my days, I'm thinking about my weeks, and I'm thinking about what I spend most of my time doing and the stuff that I spend trying to accumulate, trying to to keep. And then at the end of the passage, he's very specific with what he was referring to the most. The masters that we serve. He says something that we should all reread. You can't serve two masters. 
I'm going to read that again. It says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. One is going to win out in your life. And one is going to be on the throne of your heart. You can't serve God and money. And I wonder if we have all become slaves to money at some point. We just haven't realized it. Being enslaved to money is kind of a harsh way of putting it. Instead, we use words like blessed or fortunate, right? And this is not me picking on people who have money. Because the reality is that we are all consumed by it. When you have money... You're consumed with keeping it and getting more of it, right? And when you don't have money, you're consumed with the reality that you don't have money, so you're constantly trying to get more. The point is, you cannot be enslaved or be consumed by money and still have a healthy relationship with Christ. That's, that's the fact. You can't be enslaved to money and be constantly consumed by it and still have a healthy relationship with Jesus. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So I'll say this again, but in a different way. Money is not the sin issue here. The love of money is. The priority of it is. The being enslaved to it is. That's the sin issue. And if you don't think we have an issue with being enslaved to our money in America, I'm going to give you some statistics. So as of the end of 2022... American households carried a total of $17 trillion in debt. That's, and that's probably not all of it, but that's them counting up how many altogether American households had in debt. $17 trillion. And the average household debt is around $101,000. That's sobering. See that, and I, I'm not trying to make you sad or think about your. <laughs> all you guys are like, oh, thanks for reminding me of my debt that I have. Like this is a great sermon. Um, I, I'm not saying that if you're in debt, you're a bad person, or you're going to hell, or wherever your mind wants to wander. We have we have debt in our family. I'll be the first to say that it's hard to live without. It's possible, but it's hard. I merely gave you those statistics because our society as a whole struggles with being enslaved to money. That's just the reality. That our society struggles with being enslaved to money. And I think sometimes when I was younger, I used to think that, you know, when I was... so. 
a lot of you know the story. My, my dad passed away when I was young, and um, I would get a, uh, a stipend from, you know, from him being passed away, and I had a trust fund and everything that, that you know, it was a major trust fund or anything, but it was, it was money that I would set aside for college. And I used to remember that I didn't think it was real. Like, I thought it was just monopoly money. Like, you know, when you see numbers that are written up there, like, you know, on a paper that you get, sometimes it just doesn't feel real, right? Until you actually have to pay that or you actually have to spend money on certain things until it actually starts hurting. And then that's when you realize that the money is real. And I think sometimes we have that fantasy that it's a monopoly money or the debt that we have is not really real or... um, but we as a society have this issue. And here's the problem with it, is that it can lead us to putting our trust in wealth rather than putting our trust in God. I've done that. Put my trust in wealth or material things rather than putting my trust in God. I want to share with you a, a story that I, I read a while back, and it just it reminded me when I was prepping this week. It reminded me of the story that I had um, I had seen. It's about a lady named Marjorie Jackson, and uh, she was a millionaire that lived in Indianapolis in the 1970s. And uh, Marjorie was a widow, and her husband's father uh, founded the Standard Grocery chains. Any of you guys ever heard of those? Steve, I know you have. Have you shopped at one? You did. Um, so the, I guess they were, they were pretty big. Like it was a pretty big chain of grocery stores in Indiana, kind of across the state in the Midwest, uh, in like the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. And um, anyways, they estimate that she inherited around $14 million when her husband died. And the interesting thing was that her husband didn't trust banks. He hid cash all over his home, all over their home. Well, Marjorie picked up that same distrust for banks. And it wasn't totally unfounded because there was a report that I read in this, in this story that an employee at a bank where she did keep some of her money uh, embezzled $700,000 from her. So soon after that, Marjorie would show up at the bank pretty frequently, and she would withdraw $500,000 to a $1 million each time she would come. She'd bring a suitcase, or she'd bring a paper sack, and $100 bills, she would just withdraw them and take them back home. And when she got home, she would stash the money in closets, toolboxes, vacuum cleaner bags. There was even, you know, reports of her stuffing them in walls. And um, she did this until she withdrew every penny that she had. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. Around 14 million is what they said. And she never left her home because she was fearful. She would have meals delivered to her. She was so fearful that people would come and take her money when she was gone. Well, everybody knew where her money was, right? I mean, in a small town, she lived in, you know, 
Indianapolis, but it was still, everybody knew, the bank knew, they knew what she was doing. They said she had to be doing something with this money. You can guess what happened next. People started talking and everyone knew that she was holding that money at her house. So she got robbed numerous times. And on the final robbery, she was actually murdered uh, in her home. And the burglars made out with around a million dollars. That's all they could find. They were, they were looking through you know, everything else. And they knew that there was more money there, but they didn't want to get caught either. They eventually did, but um, they never did recover all the money. It was, you know, and they had even tried to start fire to the house, and half of it burned, and they knew that there was still money there. It was kind of, a, it's kind of a crazy story. If you ever want to look it up, one time, Marjorie Jackson. Um, now, I tell you that story because the first thing is there's a, there's a moral in that story. One, find a better place to hide your money. But two, all that money, $14 million, and she was so paranoid that people would take it, she became so enslaved to the love of keeping her money that she lost her life over it. She lost her life. I mean, she didn't really have a life because she was so enslaved to it to begin with, but then she was willing to die over keeping her money safe and just just keeping it, not even spending it, just keeping it. So sad. So what I want to do is I want to just look at just three. Well, there's really four points, but one piggybacks off another. But I want to look at kind of four points that from this passage, from kind of what we talked about, to kind of steer us in the right direction, look at some principles of how we can kind of avoid that snare, that trap of being enslaved to our money. So the first one is knowing our true, tre- true treasure. Why do I say these words that are tongue twisters? You got to like have catchy things as a pastor, right, Andrew? And then you end up getting caught by them. Knowing our true treasure. What's our true treasure? Christ, right? Ultimately, that should be our true treasure. And a lot of times, that can get shifted around. That can get prioritized in the wrong way. Where we start to look in our treasures... As the Bible says, our, the treasures, our treasures are actually where our heart spends the most time, where we spend the most energy, where we spend the most effort. And so when people look at your life, I want to ask you this question. Would they say that you treasure Christ? Or would they say that you treasure something else? That's a hard question. The second thing is constant contentment. Now that, that is kind of almost the opposite of what we have heard through 
through society and through our self-help books or, or whatever you want to look at. Everything is success-driven, success-oriented, right? How can you get ahead? How can you, you know, be the best you? And, and I'm not against that. I think, you know, we should work hard. We should, we should definitely spend our time getting better in different areas of our life. But when we start comparing and we start not being content with the blessings that God has already given us. And we start to search elsewhere. That's where we get in trouble. And we're not content in the area of our life that God has blessed us with. We have so much to be grateful for. We really do. And if we were to see in comparison with so many other countries, so many other people in this world, I think we would start to see how blessed we are and how much Christ has already given us through a place to worship, a roof over our head at night, food in our bellies. But yet, our culture has, be, has become the enemy of contentment. We're always striving for more, Right? We're always wanting more. How can you get this bigger thing, this better thing? How can you make more money? How can you climb the corporate ladder? How can you start your own business and do this, that? Number three is living in radical trust. I don't, I don't know where you're at financially, and I don't need to know. And it may be really hard right now financially for you. And you may think like, what, what does this have to do with me? I don't have, you know, a lot of excess. Living in radical trust that God is going to continue to provide for you. So, I, uh, I shared this story with some of our staff earlier in staff meeting. Um, earlier this week, and um, we were just talking about the message. I was kind of giving them kind of a, a preview, and we talked about, um, it reminded me of a time where uh, I had just left a job, and I was pretty young. I had not, I'd been out of college a couple years, but I was pretty young, and I had left a job before I got another job, which is like the dumbest thing you could do, right? My grandpa, like he was so... Oh, man, he's like, Cole, that's, that's terrible. Like, you never leave a job before you have another one lined up, right? So we, and I, I was married. I didn't have any kids yet, um, but I was married, and Elise was probably like, what is going on? Like, and so um, I remember just kind of at my wit's end, like, didn't know what I was going to do, was looking for all these different jobs, and I remember just I, was, I was, was in tears because I didn't know, you know, what we were going to do next. We had, like, nothing in our bank account. And I remember uh, just being on my knees and just praying, just crying out to the Lord that he would just make a way somehow, that he would provide some in some way. And, um, and I told him that I would trust him, that I would trust that he would, that he would provide, you know, for us. And I went out to check the mailbox, and 
I had um, I'd pulled out a, an envelope, and it looked like a little kid had scratched on it. It was just really weird, and I knew it wasn't from any of my family or anything, because um, I'd asked them. Uh, but I opened it up, and there was $800 inside, and inside the envelope. And I just, I mean, I just like fell apart and just was weeping. And I remember just feeling just, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it other than just like this immense like feeling of being taken care of, being cared for, being provided for in a way that I, I didn't, I couldn't control. And it reminds me of just how God has constantly called us in every step of our life to live in radical trust that he's going to provide for us. And so I don't know, like I said, what spectrum you are on financially, and I don't care. But we should all have that radical trust that God is going to provide for us. When we talk about give us our daily bread, the interesting thing about that is, you know, I've heard people say in, in that prayer too, where it says, give us our daily bread, no more and no less, just enough to get us by. So we live in excess, but we also don't struggle to where we can't feed, you know, we can't eat. Um, and then to piggyback off of that, um, God's generosity. God lavishes his generosity on us so much. And so we really have no reason to not be generous, be a generous people. It all belongs to him. And that's the reality is that every single thing that we do should be an act of worship to him. Every single penny that we make, it belongs to him. If we truly recognize that he is the Lord of our life. He is the Lord over everything. I don't know what your relationship with money is. And I don't know what your relationship with God is. But one is going to have to trump the other. And I can't make that decision for you. I have to make that decision myself every single day. And it doesn't always look like, you know, getting up and saying, God, you know, money's not my God today. Money's not my God today. Money's not my God today. And then you go and you look, you know, and you see something on Amazon or you go and, you know, grab the next burger when you have food at home or whatever, you know. And this is not a, you know, me telling you what to do with your money, but just saying, what does it look like for you to put God on top? of your finances, to not be enslaved to money, to have your one and only master dictate what you actually do with your finances, and to let him lead that, for him to truly be the Lord of your life. Let's pray. God, I... Uh,
I don't know if everything I said made sense or didn't make sense, um, but I know that you can take some of my jumbled words and some of my jumbled thoughts and make them have meaning. What you've really just shown me is that time and time again, we can place different things in your place. It doesn't have to be money. It can be anything. It can be ourselves. It can be others. So God, I pray that as we continue trying to live for you, that you would allow us to see how much you truly, truly desperately want our attention. Not this nagging thing, but that you're just patient with us. You want to spend time with us. You want to get to know us, and you want us to get to know you. You want to have this relationship with us that is not a one-way street. So God, I, I confess today that I've, I've been enslaved to money, been enslaved to my stuff, and I want to lay that at your feet. I don't want to lift you higher than anything in my life. I pray that others would maybe do the same thing they would confess that they need help from you, maybe from others. Thank you for loving us and never giving up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.